Amen. Okay. Philippians chapter 2. At the end. Last time we were in Philippians, we saw the example of Epaphroditus, the brother, the worker, the soldier. Uh, And when we learned about him, it was inspiring to see that God's desires that all of us, each and every one of us, would rise to the level of spiritual fullness that we see demonstrated in him. These characters and situations in the Bible are given to us uh, not only for inspiration, but they're given to us as examples. Uh, The New Testament points out that Sodom and Gomorrah were to be a a physical example to, uh, to us of what happens to wickedness. Jesus explained that his life was an example to his disciples of how they were to live. Paul did so as well. James called Elijah a man of like passions and used him as an example to us for application and for understanding. And so when we see these figures in the text of Scripture and we see how God worked in their lives, we need to understand that in those situations God is giving us a diagram and an example of spiritual principles that he has delivered to us so that we can receive more of what he wants for our lives individually. And so today we get a chance to dissect Epaphroditus a little bit. We get to take a look at some of the spiritual principles which lock us into a life lived for God's glory, which is a life that is full of spiritual abundance. And so beginning in verse 26, and then we're heading all the way to the end of chapter 2, We've already seen that Paul was sending Epaphroditus back to Philippi to minister to the church there in verse 25. And so picking up his discourse, we read, Epaphroditus was longing for you all, and he was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I sent him the more eagerly, that when you see him again you may rejoice and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore uh, in the Lord with all gladness and hold such men in esteem because for the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. The very first insight that we see about Epaphroditus is that he was longing for the Philippians and he was distressed because word had gotten back to them about his very serious illness while he was in Rome. And in fact, it almost killed him while he was ministering there to Paul. Uh, These words longing and distressed give us a, a foundational view of what we know about our calling as individuals. Your calling, simply put, is the plan of God for your life. Uh, Once you were saved, the Lord established a plan that he wanted you to walk in and is accomplishing that. That's what Paul's been talking about. Whatever God's will is for where he wants you to go and what he wants you to do, that is your calling, and we each have one. Every single one of us has been called by God to do something specific with our lives to glorify him. And so Epaphroditus demonstrates to us that our calling is always accompanied by a burden for a people or a place or a work. Uh, Longing there in the text means intense craving, and distress there means full of heaviness. And so Epaphroditus had an intense burden for the people of Philippi. He had gone on their behalf to bring a financial and physical help to Paul and then to assist him in the work of the gospel. But his heart was fixed upon the people of his own city, of Philippi. It was a God-given burden to see them receive the gospel and to be built up in their faith as well. But it wasn't just that. Uh, It wasn't just about his ministry goals and what he wanted to do you know, in the gospel there. He was also distressed when he heard that they had heard that he was sick in Rome. 
And so part of his burden for the people of Philippi was that he did not want to be a burden to them. He wanted to be a person of encouragement and help to them. He didn't want to be a source of discouragement or worry or distress or difficulty on any level. And so that was part of his burden, wanting to build them up, but also being careful that he wasn't a burden to them. And so when he heard that they were distressed and that they were worried and they had heard this bad news, it uh, caused him to be full of heaviness, the text to that says. And these are the foundations of our calling, that God places a burden within our hearts for a specific place or a specific people or a specific work, and then he transforms our desire day by day to a point where what we want is for people to be helped, people to be saved, people to be ministered to. We want to take on what needs to be done so that others might be lifted up toward God. It's a blessed weight as we take on the yoke of ministry with Jesus Christ, which he said uh, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And that's what he was talking about. Epaphroditus had a heavenly burden for the people of Philippi, so Paul was sending him back to where he was called. Um, He had gone out on their behalf and done some good work with Paul, but his heart was called back to his own city. And so Paul writes, verse 27, Indeed, he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Not only was Epaphroditus a man who was burdened to serve the Lord and to minister to others, but he was also incredibly sacrificial. Uh, This is a theme we see all the time in in the scriptures. He was following in the example of Jesus Christ. And here's what Paul said already about Jesus Christ in Philippians 2.8. Who being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And this was the example that Epaphroditus was following in. And what we find as we open God's word is that Christianity is about sacrificial obedience to the Lord. Discipleship is about sacrificial obedience to our God. Epaphroditus sacrificed himself for the work that God had set before him. He did not count his life dear to him, but followed God's will obediently, even when God's will took him to Rome, where he contracted a very serious illness that many, many uh, foreigners would contract, this Roman fever that uh, we you know read about now. Interestingly, when we were first introduced to this guy, Paul pointed out that Epaphroditus ministered to his need. And so you know we have to speculate a little bit, but it doesn't seem like Epaphroditus quit serving the Lord or quit serving Paul in the midst of his illness. Not that he was able to do all of the things that he could do before when he was in full health, but Epaphroditus here shows us a real example of being humbly obedient to whatever point God asks of us. Not counting his own life dear, but embracing the road and the task that was set before him because he was confident in his Lord. And in that example, we see a wonderful instance of the mercy of God, which is an entirely separate study. Paul, no doubt, you know, during that situation, as he saw his brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier there suffering, he no doubt pleaded with the Lord for the life of this Philippian brother. You know, if we know anything about Paul from his writings, it's that he was a man that pleaded with God for the sake of others, for their salvation and for their help. The weight of the churches was always on his heart. And so, obviously, as this uh, man, Epaphroditus, lay sick, he pled with the Lord to uh, heal him and, and spare him. God, in his mercy, spared Epaphroditus' life. What is noteworthy to me in this text is that the mercy of God for them was to spare life, not necessarily to fully heal. 
Epaphroditus did make a recovery, but there's real no plain indication that he was miraculously restored in a gift of healing from the Lord. Paul, who healed people all the time and, and saw miracles happening all the time, we don't have any indication here that he had received a miraculous healing when it came to Epaphroditus. Maybe he was healed that way, maybe he wasn't. But the point is that oftentimes God's mercy is different than what we would order up for ourselves at the spiritual drive through At the spiritual drive through we would drive up and say, I want full healing and I don't want to feel bad at all. Take, completely take away this Roman fever. Uh, God is a God of healing. He is a God of miracles. We should petition him for those things. But sometimes Christians die. Sometimes Christians are sick. Sometimes they aren't healed. And that those facts should not change our understanding of God's mercy because our God is a God of mercy. And it shouldn't change our willingness to serve or, or obey the Lord. And it shouldn't taint our understanding of his nature or his character, especially when we find ourselves or our loved ones in a humbling or dangerous or suffering situation. And so God's mercy is present with us. Uh, it's just not always the kind of mercy that we're necessarily looking for in that we would always uh, make everything comfortable and easy um, if we had the choice. Philippians 2.28 Therefore I sent him the more eagerly that when you see him again you may rejoice and I may be less sorrowful. Paul was the reason that Epaphroditus had traveled to Rome and now he was the reason that he was being sent back home to encourage the church where he had come from. It seems like a lot of our studies recently uh, have been, see, we've been seeing this idea of sending and going. Sending others out with our help or being sent out ourselves to accomplish the work of God. And we see that just over and over again. That we participate in the work of the Lord by either sending or going. Paul's part here was to send out this man as an encouragement and a help to the Philippian church. And he sent him out eagerly. Yes, Epaphroditus was ministering to Paul's every need, and Paul definitely needed help in Rome, and he needed help as he you know, was imprisoned there. And you know, um, Epaphroditus really helped him out you know, on lots of different levels. But when it was time for him to go back home to where he was called, Paul sent him out eagerly. Of course, we already saw that Epaphroditus was eager to get home and assist and edify the believers there, but Paul also shows that he was eager to do the sending. Um, this participation in the gospel that Paul's been talking about to us for two chapters is something that we need to be eager to do. And so if we look within ourselves, you know, uh, as we're alone with the Lord, and if we find no eagerness to serve or no eagerness to give, no eagerness to minister, or to send, or to reach, uh, then perhaps we've just lost focus on the heart of God and his purposes in this world. And perhaps we could ask the Lord to give us a fresh vision and a fresh stirring um, to send and be sent. Verse 29, Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such men in esteem because for the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. Paul's part was to send. Epaphroditus' part was to be sent. The church at large in Philippi had a part as well. It was to receive him and to participate with him in the work that God wanted to accomplish through their lives. Paul's teaching us here that we need to value ministry as Christians. We need to value reaching out with the gospel. We need to value those who are willing to work in the harvest. And we need to value that in our lives as well. You know, the Lord sets that out in front of all of us. He says, you know, look, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. But he uh, gives each of us a call and says, hey, follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. I'll make you a worker in the harvest. 
We need to value the calling that God has placed on each of our lives and value the ministry that he's doing through his people in our community and, and around the world. And when there are gaps in our service to the Lord, we need to pray and see who God is going to call to supply what is lacking. And so God raised up Epaphroditus to supply what was lacking in the support to Paul, that text says. And so when we see, when we have a burden for a community or for a work or for a place or for a people, then we need to pray and say, Lord, raise someone up. You know, raise someone up to do that work. Maybe you can raise me up, Lord, or maybe you're going to raise someone else up. Either way, I'm going to participate. I'm either going to be sent or I'm going to be part of sending. And so, as we pointed out before, every one of us has a calling placed on our lives from God. A general calling to follow him as a disciple, but then a specific calling that he tailors to each one of our lives based on what he wants us to do. Some of us will be called to peoples and places near to here. Some of us are going to be called to peoples and places far from here. But each of us has a part to play in the work of God and the work of the gospel here on the earth. What we can see in this text is that the work of God begins with simple things like encouraging others, not complaining, being glad and joyful when it comes to serving the Lord, not being a burden to the other Christians around you, but wanting to build them up. And so as we set our hearts on those simple things, we find that God places a heavenly burden on our lives to accomplish specific tasks. That's how calling works, that as we live the Christian life on a simple level, the Lord then reveals his will to us and he says, okay, you know, you're, you've made yourself available, you've made yourself, you know, uh, prepared for, for the work that I want you to do and so then I'm going to place a specific people, a specific place, a specific work on your heart and then start showing you how you accomplish those things in my will. Um, from that burden, we begin participating in sending out of ourselves or actually being sent ourselves to those areas that the Lord has prepared for us. Um, there are parts that every Christian are to play when it comes to the different ministries that the Lord wants to do uh, in our lives, through our church, in this community. But not only do we see what we are to do, we also see an example of Epaphroditus of what it requires to be a man who follows after the Lord in dynamic, full service. You know, these are a couple practical things that show, okay, if you want to step into the discipleship that we see demonstrated by him. And if we want to have the kind of uh, dynamic, effective Christian life that we see he having, we need to see also what it requires. Uh, first and primarily, it requires willingness, being willing to put faith into action and go where needs going. Every time Jesus went around and said, follow me, the very first step was a step of willingness, saying, okay, I will leave this behind. I will take a step. I'm not sure what's going to happen, but I am going to follow because I know who you are. You know, and there were times in the Gospels when you know, Jesus put that call out to people and they went away sorrowful. They didn't want to do what needed doing. They were unwilling to put their faith or their understanding into action and go where it needed going. And so the first requirement to have this sort of dynamic full life in Christ is to be willing. But second, it requires not regarding your life, being full of trust in the Lord. Understanding that God goes with you to accomplish what he desires. Understanding that he's preparing a work and bearing fruit as you go. Having confidence that God cannot fail and his intent is to complete not only what you do but who you are. But not regarding your life in that process. Because of those things that we understand about God and his plan for us, we must relinquish ourselves to him and lay down our lives on the altar of his grace. And so if God wants to give me Roman fever, I should praise his name for that. If God wants to imprison me for his glory, I should praise his name all the same. 
If God wants to set me before a king or before lepers, that is his decision. And so my part as a disciple is to accept the personal call that he's given me and to follow him wherever he leads, nothing more. And the rest is up to him. 1 John 3.16 By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That's Christianity. To whatever degree God calls us to lay down our lives is up to him, and to whatever degree he asks us, he will equip and empower us. You know, some of us he asks to live in the United States, and some of us he asks to live in the Sudan. And um, that is up to his sovereign will. Matthew 10, 38 and 39, Jesus said, And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Those are heavy verses. Interestingly, that message or that uh, discussion from Jesus is repeated in all four Gospels. It is one of the fundamental points of the Christian life, that we surrender self and receive the call of God, which has been crafted specifically by the Lord so that your life and my life might glorify him and accomplish specific parts of his will. And so for Epaphroditus, the call was to take a trip to Rome, serve a man there, then return home to encourage and build up the church. That was his call. For Abraham, the calling was to have a son and watch God work in his family. For Moses, the calling was to save a nation and to lead them to the promised land. For Peter, the calling was to feed God's sheep. For Stephen, the calling was to wait tables. And to a different degree, God called, asked these men to lay down their lives physically. Um, you know, Abraham didn't have to be martyred for his faith. Stephen was martyred for his faith. Peter as well. To us, these men are heroes of the faith as we look into the scriptures. But to the Lord, they're just examples uh, to every one of us of what he wants to do in and through each of his disciples. The callings of God are all different because they are specific to your life. He knows you personally, and so he calls you personally to something that he has set apart just for you to do. And so what is required of us is twofold. We have to pick up the call and receive what God wants for us. And then the second part is to lay down our lives in dramatic sacrifice. The idea that we are actually and actively laying self on the altar and dramatically relinquishing ourselves to the merciful and powerful plan of God. And so the question is, number one, what is your calling? Do you have a burden to, to see lives transformed, whether it's here or elsewhere? If you have a burden, have you received the signal from God to send or be sent? And if so, have we then obeyed and trusted the Lord to do more abundantly with our lives than we could do ourselves? That's the Christian life, and this is the type of effectiveness that is available to you and to me today. And so if we're willing to shed the weight that would hold us back from following Jesus, then he will take us and transform us into men that are effective and dynamic and full of his power and his glory.